0: Sugar Blossoms, I'm going to keep this short and sweet for you on this intro. I have an episode for you that is one of a kind. I interviewed the CEO of a brand called Promescent, and his name is Jeff Abraham. He was awesome to come on the show. He has some older perspective for us, and I'm, I'm really hoping you guys enjoy this episode. It was really fun. I also got to try some of Promescent's products. I'm super excited to share those with you next week everything that I got and my personal reviews of them (laughs) yeah yeah you better be excited because Andrew and I have been having a great time with him don't worry so yes tune in for that and enjoy this episode with Jeff Abraham from (gasps) Permescent. Ellie what oh my god you talked about sex? All right, so if you just want to tell a little, bit, a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself, whatever you think the people should know to get us started, that'd be fantastic.
1: Okay, well, my name is Jeff Abraham, and I'm the CEO of a company called Promescent, which is a company that has a wide variety of products that are all based uh, in the sexual wellness area, and we've been very successful and we've grown exponentially. I have a background that is very circuitous, and when people ask me, you know, how did you end up running this company? I go, think of the wildest scenario possible, and it won't rival what actually happened. I ended up, I was running a semiconductor engineering business, and it was my own business that I started, and it ended up being very successful, and I retired at age 53. Then how do I go from being the CEO of a semiconductor engineering business, which is the furthest thing from sexual wellness you can possibly find, to doing this? And it just so happened that my next-door neighbor was a uh, urologist, and my good friend, and also my doctor. And he developed the first product, which was the male delay spray. And so I became an investor in the company. One thing led to another, he asked me to come run the company, and I did. And then here we are 10 years later. So it wasn't like I had a background in retail products or sexual wellness or medicine. I mean, you could not have a background that had less involved with what this company does than I did prior to running this company. It would be impossible.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So so I'm curious, what what about it really interested you? Was it just your friendship with him or what was it that made you actually want to step in and start taking a part?
1: Number one, I trusted him and I knew when he said, this is a very good product and it works. And then I obviously asked to try it and I knew it was (laughs) successful. I knew the product really worked well. The next step was I literally sent it to a wide range of friends and people all the way down to my son who was 19 at the time and a sophomore at UC Santa Barbara to other friends my age who were 53 at that point. And after sending it out to, I think it was roughly eight to 10 people, I pretty much got the same response almost from everybody. And the response was, what was that and where can I get more of it? I was like, whoa, okay, that's that's a pretty positive response. And I researched The market, and I realized how immense it was, and that there really wasn't anything else viable out there that worked. So I invested in the company, and uh, this is a tragic part of the story. I, you know, took it over, and things were going really well. And Ron was murdered in a case of mistaken identity—total, random, senseless act. And then at that point, you know, I knew that his wife and his two sons still owned twenty percent of the company, and. I really, at that point, vowed to make it a success to give him a legacy and to provide for his family as well as our shareholders. So that's how we fast forward to this day. And I'm still here running the company because, you know, I had retired once. I wasn't planning on working this late, but now things are really going well and we're thriving. So it's kind of hard to walk away right now, you know. So uh, I think in the next year, I'll find my successor and uh, become the brand ambassador for the company and leave the day-to-day operations to someone else.
0: Well, yeah, kind of just keep with the fun stuff, like getting on podcasts. Yeah, this stuff, part, maybe. like
1: being on podcasts <laughs> and dealing with physicians and going to sexual medicine shows, like, you know, where we're really ingrained into the medical community. Those are all fun. That's
0: One of the, like, I don't know, one of the draws is just the people in the, ind- in the sexual wellness industry are so much fun to interact with, at least in my experience. So
1: there's been so many lifelong friendships that I've made with Laura Berman and Ian Kerner and Emily Moores and, you know, Rude Jude on Sirius 45. There's people that I know they'll be friends of mine for the rest of my life, no matter what. And there are some really good people doing the right thing. And in this country, we have such a puritanical view of sex that, you know, you go to Europe, you go to other parts of the world and you're like, why can't we be like that?
0: That's an interesting topic when it comes to sex work as well, because that is a topic that I talk about on this podcast a lot, because that's so, so taboo in this country still that, I mean, it's it has to start getting pushed if we're ever going to have the vast majority of people accept it. So I've started to kind of go with yeah. that. But in other countries, like it's perfectly fine. And so when you said that, I'm like, yeah, especially in this st- kind of stuff I'm I'm starting to tr- try to work with as well.
1: Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Yeah.
0: I know that you are really engaged in the sexual wellness industry now, but was that any, what was your past before this? Like, was sex taboo? What was, what was your well, exposure in, and experience?
1: Yeah. I grew up in Western Pennsylvania and back then, you know, cause I'm 64 years old now. So when I grew up and, you know, I went to high school in the early seventies and that was still a time where the majority of people, Graduated from high school and they really hadn't had sex yet. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people had their first sexual experiences, you know, in college, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, like, you know, you'd hear people like, oh, you know, like went on a date last night when you were like a junior in high school and I got to second base kind of a thing. You know, 13, 14, 15 year olds back then were not having sex. That was just unheard of. And, I was a little bit different when I was 15 years old. I was working at a country club as a bus boy and some 21 year old waitress had a fascination with me and decided she was going to initiate me into the world of sex. And believe me, I was a very willing participant, you know? And uh, so here I was 15 years old, literally being introduced to sex by a 21 year old woman thinking I had hit the lottery. And at first we would leave and, would drive four or five miles away because this country club was at the end, of this long winding country road would drive down and pull off to the side and find some secluded spot. And then we started getting more aggressive and like going out to her car and we both had a 20 minute break, you know, and we ended up getting caught. And then my mom found out. And then I remember, you know, my mom freaking out, what is wrong with you? You have some mental issue. I'm like, no, I don't. This feels great. You know what I mean? Everybody should be doing this. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know, then I kind of, I, I just lost interest in kind of dating in high school because to me, going then back and going, well, if I date someone for two months, you know, then we can start making out and, you know, I can kind of feel her up underneath her clothes was like, once you've already, you know, been to the promised land, you're like, uh, I don't really, I'm not going to invest a time and effort into that. So I gravitated more towards older women at that age. Then once I got to college, I found myself much more comfortable because You know people were living on their own and they had a lot more freedom so you know there wasn't this taboo and there wasn't this thing that oh you can't be sexual until you've been in a relationship for x amount of time so you know my background came from a place that was very retrograde and extremely backward in terms of sexuality but after college after that then i quickly moved to southern california and then found myself in that same mode to where You know, sex was much more open and it wasn't the forbidden fruit. And it wasn't something that was saved for marriage or saved for a sacred relationship type of thing. So I became much more comfortable with my own sexuality at that point.
0: It's really interesting to hear about your experience at 15, because I feel like for a lot of people, that would be really, that'd be kind of a scary situation, but it sounds like you were all about it.
1: Oh, there was nothing scary. I was like, are you kidding me? I was. I literally felt like I won the lottery, you know? And, mm-hmm. you know, it was just crazy because I remember all my friends like, oh, my God, tell me about it. You know, like they had never experienced anything. And it was one of those things where I was like, well, I really can't do justice telling you about it. You're going to have to experience it one day. You know? <laughs> uh, it was It was bizarre. I mean, I just felt like big man on campus. You know, it was like – Everyone else had something they dreamed about and I was doing it, you know. She got fired after we got caught and I didn't because here I was, the 15-year-old supposedly that was taken advantage of and, you know, she should have known better. She was the adult. But then we set up this system where, because back then they didn't have cell phones or the internet or whatever, where I'd go to this retail like mall and she would come pick me up and then would go over to her house, you know? And so I continued that through a certain part of high school and then, you know, went to college and, you know, I just knew that that whole mindset was backwards and it leads to a lot of repression. It leads to a lot of people, you know what I mean? Being frustrated. And, you know, I, I've always felt that women should be encouraged and should be just as open about their sexuality as men. But to be quite honest with you, it's not something that we still, as a society are comfortable with. A lot of women are really put in the unenviable position even today that their man expects them to be sexual, but not too sexual, you know, like, where'd you learn that, you know, that kind of a thing. So, you know, as a woman, you're put into this position where you have to be alluring and sexual, but not too sexual kind of a thing. You know, you don't want to intimidate your man. And I think that's really unfortunate, and I think it's unfair. Both sides, both men and women, should be a, completely free to explore their sexuality, their desires, and, you know, just their, their natural, you know, tendencies to do what pleases them. And I still don't believe that's an equal playing field, even to this day. If a man in his single days is a prolific dater, it's almost admired And if a woman does exactly the same thing, it's not only not admired. In some cases, it's like, well, she's, you know, loose or, you know, maybe she's, you know, too aggressive kind of a thing. And that's that's really not practical. And I don't believe it's fair.
0: No, absolutely not. And that's actually interesting because one of my questions for you was about when the brand kind of started to expand into women's pleasure because um, lucky for me, I mean, very lucky for me, I got to try out some of the the products (laughs) you guys have, but most of them were uh, female, like engaged, like the warming jaw, the buzzing jaw and that kind of stuff. So I'm curious when that started and what were the thoughts behind that was what was going on and like because obviously the original delay spray was doing very well so i'm curious what the thoughts were to start expanding
1: the genesis of that was even a lot of the delay spray purchases are prompted by the female in the relationship because i tell people if a man and a woman are in a relationship together And a man rapidly or prematurely ejaculates, the effect is as pronounced, if not more pronounced on the woman than it is on the man, because a man is still ejaculating, you know, it may be premature or rapid, but the woman's like, Hey, what about me? I'm here. And so Mm -hmm. I would talk to a lot of our customers. Some of them were women and they were like, Hey, how about something for us? And I'm like, you know, you're right. And so our first products for that really were geared, they were towards men and women. They were the you know, the gels, lubrications, you know, the uh, organic aloe lube and the water lube and the silicone lube. And then I noticed that women would find something they like and they would immediately go out and tell their friends, wow, this is a great organic lube and we get all this referral business. We find that guys, if guys find a delay spray or a VitaFlux or something that really works, then guys tend to make sure they don't want anyone else to know because a guy wants to be the brightest, biggest rooster in the barnyard so he can proverbially go out and, you know, mate with all the other hens. He wants to hoard or keep to himself something that he feels gives him an advantage, whereas women can't wait to get on Reddit or, you know, uh, <laughs> Pinterest or Facebook, tell all their friends, call all their friends, hey, I'm having more powerful orgasms because I'm using female VitaFlox, you know, and I'm like, Hey, wait a second. We should have started with women's product. You know, we would have been a lot further along because you just got to get seated in the right women that are key influencers. They'll tell everybody else men want to keep everything to themselves. So, you know, once I found out how women really like to share and really are open about talking to other women about things that work, then we really made a push. And now you see us with the female VitaFlux and the buzzing and warming arousal gels and the toys and vibrators. And, you know, uh, the lubricants and everything. So I'm very committed to our next couple products continuing down the path of women's related products, because number one, there aren't as many companies that focus on it. And number two, Mm -hmm. women are very open and receptive to talking about their sex lives and things that really help them. And guys are not. Guys are more private. So, you know, for us, it's a number one, it's a sound business decision, but number two, you know, I believe that women don't get a fair shake. If you look at Viagra, Cialis, Levitra, Stendra, Trimix injections, we go on and on, Orny Go Weed. There's 10 zillion products out there for men. What are there, four for women? I go, you know, you need to level that playing field a little bit.
0: Well, there's there's a lot there to unpack, but I really like that. I mean, you kind of started with that men don't talk about it because I also think there's something to be said about just Men being scared that it's going to make them look bad. Toxic masculinity, too, that comes into play with that. They don't want to admit that, hey, maybe I don't last as long as everybody says I should. So there's that also that comes into play with that. And then before, I think even before that, you were talking about how it's it's for the women, too. Because one of my next topics that I was going to talk about even is that it's kind of cool. I think it's a really cool aspect of promescent and the delay spray that while it's for men, it's kind of a way of fighting that male orgasm goal of sex, which is, in my opinion, a very sad aspect of the way normal society views sex. Like, I think that there's so much more involved. There's so much pleasure to be had if you're not focusing on orgasm all the time. Right. And I think that the delay spray is actually kind of an almost secret push against that. Exactly.
1: What I tell men, Mm -hmm. and I mean this sincerely, is if you want to have credit for being the most selfless and giving and caring person, make sure your partner always has one or two orgasms before you even think about having your own orgasm. And then you're ensuring that you're going to have good orgasms because your woman is going to go, whoa, I really want to take care of this guy because I like having good orgasms and he's a good guy. He's funny. He communicates, he's successful, and he gives me great pleasure. I want to make sure he's well taken care of. So really it's paying it forward. You're ensuring yourself of having pleasure yourself, but you're being credited for being Gandhi. You know what I mean? Oh, look at this guy. He always thinks of me first, but you're ensuring that you're going to ensure pleasure yourself and Really, you should not go into intimacy with only yourself in mind. You should really go into it. And maybe it's because I'm from an older generation and I like to be emotionally connected to whoever I'm with, is you should really focus on your partner, knowing that if your partner receives pleasure, you're going to as well. But if your partner doesn't, chances are it's not going to be a long-term partnership and they will be frustrated or angry. And maybe it'll be the end of the relationship. So, if you really want a good relationship, like you said, take the focus off of your orgasm and put it elsewhere into giving as much pleasure, as much you know, time in in an excited state to your partner. You'll both be better off for it.
0: One hundred percent. Well, that and just being able to like relax into the moment too is really important too. So even if no, if it's not like having a goal of either one of you orgasming, like, yeah, obviously that's how it should probably end, but just being able to elongate the experience as a whole is helping and is helping people connect too. So yeah,
1: there's another thing is the focus shouldn't be if there aren't some kind of a simultaneous climax orgasm, or even if both partners don't climax that happens from a time Mm -hmm. to time. So you shouldn't consider it an unsatisfactory and unsavory experience because just the actual experience of, you know, caressing, you know, whether it's oral, any kind of sex whatsoever is pleasurable. And you have to take the focus away from the climax if the climax is the end all do all, you know what I mean? And you know what they say about enjoying the journey, not just the ending of it, you know? There's a lot of pleasure in just being touched. There's a lot of pleasure in being caressed. There's a lot of pleasure in, you know, kissing someone, you know, going down on someone, you know, that kind of thing. I think, like you said, take the focus away from having it centered specifically on a male orgasm, you know, and on the overall experience of just pleasure. And that exp- that pleasure doesn't have to be strictly the climax or the orgasm. Mm-hmm.
0: There's also something to be said about when you take the pressure off of a climax, it also becomes a safer experience because when there's a lot of pressure on that for either party, right, and something goes wrong, something's hurting or whatever, then there's a lot more pressure to not end things right if you're worried about your partner not climaxing in a situation you're like oh well just a couple more seconds i can live through that but honestly if you're experiencing something that's uncomfortable or experiencing pain of any kind it should just end right there and honestly, everybody absolutely
1: i agree perfectly fine with it if you're experiencing any kind of pain any kind of discomfort it creates anxiety anxiety and intimacy are two completely separate emotions should never be mixed together you know it mm-hmm. If the moment there's anxiety from pain or discomfort, you need to shut it down, figure out what's causing the pain or discomfort and eliminate or completely, you know, minimize it so that that doesn't creep in. So a person's mind is free to experience pleasure.
0: Exactly. All right. I love all of this conversation so far, but I do have a burning question that I've got to ask you because you are okay. on the podcast Sugar Pussy. And I talk about non-traditional relationships a lot. So I'm curious, have you ever been
1: a sugar daddy? You're going to laugh when I tell you this. The answer is in a way, yes, but it was very non-traditional. Okay. There was a time where they did a special on a site called Seeking Arrangements on CNN. And I had seen it and I was fascinated by it. I was at a business meeting with a banking partner that we have. This was in my prior business. It just so happened that we were there and there was uh, two people from the banking institution, myself and the operations manager for my prior, prior, prior company. So the four of us were having lunch one day and the subject came up about that CNN thing. And I said, oh, yeah, I saw that. And, you know, we talked about it and everyone was laughing. Would you ever consider doing that? I said, I'm not totally against it. But, you know, I've never been in that situation. And at the time I lived in Southern California and there was an ample amount of, you know, single people, dating partners. I said, but no, I'm not totally against it. But, you know, if the right situation developed, I'd be open to it. And then like two days later, the gal that was from the banking, the financial institution, gives me a call. She goes, hey, I want to bring up something. It's non-work related. It's kind of uncomfortable and I want to chat with you about it. I'm like yeah, sure. What is it? And I'm like, what? I'm thinking to myself, what is this about? She goes, remember, we were at lunch on Tuesday, we were at Il Fornaio. And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, remember, the subject came up about, uh, you know, CNN and that uh, sugar babies thing, seeking arrangement. range. I'm like, yeah, that was fascinating. You know, she goes, yeah. She goes, I've never been on there, but I've always thought about it. She goes, I'm curious. And she goes, you know, I have a good job. For me, it's not as much about finances, because I do well, she goes, but for me, it's more about just finding a person that's successful and intelligence and could be a really good mentor and take me places and show me things that I've never seen, you know, that kind of thing. I said, Yeah, that would be one of the uh, certainly advantages, you know what I mean? And she goes, you know, I was thinking about it. And she goes, if I would do it, you would be the exact kind of guy that I would love to do it with. I'm like, excuse me. I mean, I was flattered because this girl at the time I was 51 and I think she was 35 and, you know, she was very successful, you know, and I was like, what? And she goes, would you be open to that kind of thing with me? And I go, let me think about it. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Absolutely. Let's do it. You know? And uh, so we entered into, you know, a relationship that lasted about a year and a half. And then she went back East to a very prestigious school to get her uh, MBA or master's in business administration. And so it lasted about a year and a half and she basically lived with me. And uh, you know, it wasn't like we had some kind of a monthly allowance thing by any stretch of the imagination, but I was obviously doing very well. So when we traveled, I paid for all the travel and, you know, we lived very well and we had a great time. In fact, we're still friends, very good friends, Mm -hmm. as a matter of fact. And after that ended, I just really missed it, you know? And I was like, wow, that was powerful. That was really like a great relationship. And in fact, we actually considered maintaining the relationship but she wanted to have children. And at that age, I already had a son that was 24. I'm like, I'm not starting again. You know what I mean? And yeah. if it wasn't for her steadfast desire to have children and my insistent on not having more children, that might've actually blossomed into a regular relationship, you know, that ended up with us together forever. And cause we had really, really good chemistry. And then I actually signed up for the site after she left because I wanted to recreate that. But after about two or three months, I didn't find the same caliber of person. And I basically just dismissed it as I got very lucky. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. that I kind of fell into something that was just very comfortable because it was someone I knew that knew me for like a year and a half. And then it was in a way sparked by an article we both saw on CNN about seeking arrangements, you know? but I wasn't on the site. But then I thought, well, since that's what sparked it, I'll go on the site. But when I went back on after that ended, I didn't find anywhere near the quality of person that I felt she was. But I have friends to this day that are on it. And a couple of times I've met people like when I lived in Southern California, I had a friend and we went to dinner one time and he met this gal who was a uh, soccer player at a major university in Southern California, a very renowned one. And he was, I think, 47 and she was like 22. And oh my God, she was gorgeous. And it was like, (laughs) I was like, I never thought people like that were on the site. You know what I mean? Like, and it was, it really opened my eyes. And you know, when you look at it, I really think that if you're a woman and you're in school, do you really want to be slinging, you know, burgers at Applebee's and making, you know, $20 an hour after tips and then you know, messing around with some goof your own age that, you know, wants to go Dutch and can't help you out. Or if you're in a situation where you can meet someone that's a little more mature, that's worldly, that, you know, can maybe mentor you in addition to give you a lifestyle and allow you to concentrate on your studies and having a pretty rich, rewarding social life and not be tied into working 20 hours a week at minimum wage, you know, I don't Mm -hmm. think there's anything wrong with it. In fact, I believe being 64 years old and never been married, I have a lot of friends who were married and I believe that a lot of even married relationships are transactional, you know what I mean? It's not like you know where you're negotiating a certain amount per month or whatever, but let's face it, in a lot of cases, marriages and traditional relationships are transactional. They're just not transparent about it. And if I was a woman who was very desirable, I would probably be doing it and be very smart about it and make sure... That, you know, I took the proper precautions and made, did the, the proper vetting to make sure that people were legitimate, but I don't see anything wrong with it. I think there's a certain segment of our society that it's very functional and very practical and that it shouldn't be something that's behind closed doors and shouldn't be something that's frowned upon.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting that you had that experience because that is exactly – the kind of arrangement i mean i've had in the past i've i've had many different kinds right so you can set it up one of the beauties of it is you can set it up however you want just so long as each person is kind of benefiting in the ways that they need to benefit then everybody's happy but the real like cherry on top about setting up a non-traditional relationship such as something along the lines of sugar dating is that it has that conversation up front like hey this is what I want out of this. And can you, if you can provide that great, this is what I can provide. And then you could agree on if that's going to work for you too. And it sounds like that's exactly what you guys did. It just, you didn't meet on the site, but that's exactly how it should work. And that's why they're so successful. So, unfortunately there is a ton of sifting you have to do, you have to do on oh, seeking
1: arrangements when I it went can back be on pain. to recreate that I can't tell you how many people mm-hmm. were like I want to meet you tonight and give me $300 you know I'm like what oh no yep. that you know that's so unlike what I was looking for I wanted to literally find something you know that somebody was like hey you know what I mean." This is what I need. I need to supplement my rent. I need to do this. I need to do that. And let's set up something. Let's make sure we have some genuine chemistry and meet and sit down. You know what I mean? Because to me, it would be so distasteful for the person going, oh, God, I got to put up with this guy for another hour and a half. Let's get this over with. You know what I mean? And I would like to think that, you know, there's some genuine chemistry there. And to a certain degree, you each find something interested. I'm not naive. I'm 64 years old. I'm in pretty good shape for 64 years old, but I don't look like a 20-year-old, okay, by any stretch of the imagination, or a 30-year-old for that matter. So you got to be practical and go, I bring a lot of wisdom, financial acumen, financial success, the ability to open certain doors, the ability to help people financially. And if I can trade some of that for for me, instead of feeling like, okay, I have to be with some frumpy, you know, person my own age, and I have absolutely no desire to be with, who's to say that's wrong? I don't understand. Why, why is that frowned upon? Why is that looked at as anything negative? It shouldn't be.
0: Right. Well, and part of the reason I started the podcast was just because I understand how so many people at least as far as probably a more on the women's side, get on there and not exactly sure how they're supposed to approach it. And they just kind of follow that, that line of thinking of, well, I'm not going to enjoy this. But the problem is is that you can enjoy it if you actually do meet up with the right person and if you follow the right steps. And so I want to like encourage people to do it the right way. But as far as the taboo side of things, so one of the big arguments against sugar dating is that it's so close to sex work and at times it can be sex work. But it really depends on you and if you make it sex work. If you're on there saying, I want $300 for a night then it is but if you're going in there to actually date to actually meet people and see if you have that chemistry and then set up an arrange set up an arrangement that's pretty much an exchange like a traditional relationship except that you have things lined out a little bit more and everybody knows exactly what they're providing and what they're getting. It's exactly it's like fantastic. a regular relationship
1: you're right. Mm-hmm. And see to me I would never want one of these. I'm not married. I'm not in a relationship and I don't want to go, okay, let's, this has to be secret. I have a special secret apartment. We have to meet there. We're not seen out in public. You know, when I dated this gal, I mean, I took her on trips. I mean, she met members of my family, you know what I mean? And, you know, it was literally like we had a relationship, you know, and that was very positive, you know, and people can do their own morality check. You know, there's married guys. Cause you know, when I went back on the second time and I, you know, talk to some people and I would always ask them, you know, what's your experience been like here, whatever. Some of them were like, you know, 90% of the guys on here are complete scammers. All they want is pictures. They never have any intention of meeting. And all they want to do is endless texting. I go, why would anyone go on there without the idea of meeting someone? That's wasting your time. But I guess a lot of people have fantasies that, you know, they're just fulfilled by getting pictures. You know what I mean? And, you know, that type of thing. But I think one of these things is, I equate it to almost like having rental property. If you buy rental property, the most important thing you can do is take your time vetting to find the right tenant. Because if you get the wrong tenant in there, no matter how nice the property, it's going to end up badly because they're gonna trash it, you know what I mean? When you're becoming a sugar baby, take your time and fight the right sugar daddy because if you're feeling like you're valued and it's set up properly up front and he really nurtures the relationship, then it's not going to feel transactional. And the person will literally hopefully develop some kind of chemistry and really want to do other things for you outside of the bedroom and outside of the financial considerations.
0: I think you have a fantastic opinion of these. I'm actually, and I really like that you were willing to share your story of being a sugar daddy, at least in some ways with us. That was awesome.
1: It's the truth. You know, I mean, I wasn't wasn't hiding behind anything, you know, I wasn't married and sneaking around, you know, I wasn't in some committed relationship and going, this is my side piece. I don't believe in that. I really don't be honest, be upfront. You know, if you're not satisfied in your relationship, get out of it. You know, don't, you don't cheat on everybody, you know? And I think it would be demeaning to someone if I would say, okay, you can come over and we can have a conjugal visit, but I can't be seen in public with you. You know what I mean? And, you know, I don't want to acknowledge this relationship to anyone outside of you and I, it has to be in secret. Now that may work for some people. And if that works for them, great. I don't want to be judgmental, but it just doesn't work for me.
0: Right. It doesn't work for a lot of women too, who are going on for for that reason, because that's not what they're looking for. They want, they want the dates and they want the experiences and not being able to be seen in public is not getting those experiences. And so that's not what they're looking for. And it's just, you got on that site and you had an experience, which unfortunately a lot of people have, which is just not finding people who are willing to work with you or not finding somebody that you have that chemistry with.
1: Here's one thing I found, maybe it's because of my age. Okay. I'm 64 now. When I did that at my, I was probably 57 at the time. To me, something like that is a fantasy. If I'm going to go on there and I'm going to share my life, I want it to be, something that whoa it's like i can't believe like i'm the luckiest person in the world to find this to me it's putting the time in up front to make sure that like you said that the parameters are set and no one is disappointed
0: i also have to give that girl some credit that that took some balls that was a quite the confident move to just call you up like that i think i was
1: shocked And I asked her later, I said, you realize you were putting your job in jeopardy. She goes, I know (laughs) you well enough that you're totally cool. And you had the option to say no, but you would not. I go, you're right. She goes, plus, to be honest with you, she goes, your eyes are very expressive. I'm like, what? She goes, I noticed you a couple of times just literally staring at me. And I go, was it that obvious? She goes, yeah, it was that obvious. (laughs)
0: okay so and she had know, some she had some hints there
1: oh yeah no she, I mean <laughs> and I started after that realizing it but you know I don't try to hide it I mean like if I go to a museum I stare at a beautiful painting you know what I mean I'm like I'm harmless I'm not gonna try to do something to somebody you know what I mean but I just always found her very attractive you know what I mean and she was very articulate and funny you know and I just remember thinking, man, there's some lucky dude that's going to end up marrying that one day, you know? And I was just like, I don't know. To me, she was like the ideal woman, educated, professional, intelligent, articulate. And I think that we had a certain comfort level with each other over the course of, you know, the year and a half that we did business before, you know, we started, you know, the relationship and stuff. And I think that allowed a sense of Comfort and a sense of confidence in one another, you know? Because mm-hmm. I remember a couple of times harassing me, Are you dating anyone? I said, Well, no, not seriously. I met this one gal. Oh, why don't you think it's this? And I go, Well, you know, she just drinks way too much for me because I'm not like a big drinker, you know what I mean? And I look back on it, and I think to a certain degree, she was kind of like going, would I be compatible with this guy? You know, because she was like me, very athletic. and wasn't a big drinker. You know what I mean? I like to get high once in a while, but I'm not like a big drinker, you know, cause I don't like feeling hung over or whatever. So a lot of the questions that come out in getting to know one another, we had kind of addressed indirectly when we weren't even dating. You know what I mean? By asking what it is you like about a person, what don't you like about a person, you know, that type of thing.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm glad you had a good experience with that. Even if you yeah, didn't I had a great experience. Yeah. You know.
1: And I was kind yeah, of hated after that because I think I'm spoiled now, you know? I'm like, hey, I, <laughs> yep. I need that kind of relationship again, you know?
0: Yeah, it's always frustrating when you have to go back and you're like, oh, am I ever going to find something as good now? Yeah, I ac- I completely understand. Well, we are coming up on the time I should probably start thinking about letting you go here. But I do like to okay. ask my guests on the show if they have any stories my audience might enjoy. I like to open the show and end the show with stories sometimes. And so by that, I mean anything, any crazy experiences, learning experience, absurd experiences. And usually I'm talking sexual experiences, Um, if you can't think of anything, no, that's that's also all right.
1: Okay, there's one that I can share with you. It happened when I first moved here to Vegas. I had met a gal who was a single mom. She was in the medical field. She had a lot of friends, and so I had a really nice home. So we spent most weekends here, and she had, at the time, an 11-year-old daughter. She was in this group of some of them were her work friends. Some of them she met through her daughter's school and everything, but they had a pretty tight circle of friends. After about six or eight months, she was very comfortable in saying, hey, can you know I bring my daughter over, one of her friends and her mom, and we'll hang out, swim at the pool all day? And I'm like, absolutely. When I'm dating someone, it's like me casa, is su casa. You know what I mean? My house is your house. I don't want you to feel like a visitor. You know what I mean? Like if we're hanging out and we're in a steady, long-term relationship, have at it. You know what I mean? Just feel comfortable. And so I remember I went on this long bike ride. It was like a 50-mile bike ride with this biking group I went with. And I came home, and she had a friend that I had met her and her daughter at a couple social events at back-to-school nights. And her daughter was playing youth soccer, and the two daughters were on the same soccer team, you know. And so I came home from this long bike ride, and I came home, and I was just getting out of the shower, and the gal I was dating comes in, And says to me, "Oh, I told her to keep an eye on the girls for a while. I want some alone time with you. You know what I mean?" I'm like, "Oh, that works for me, you know." And so, you know, we get busy, you know, the whole thing, and then we get done, and I hop back in the shower and everything, and you know, I go out and I'm getting ready to have some lunch or whatever, and she comes in, and she goes, "Do you find my girlfriend?" And they had been drinking some champagne, and and it was funny because. I like, I'm very open about the fact that I like getting high once in a while. She really had never gotten high, but that earlier that day, her friend had talked her into eating an edible, you know what I mean? And so they both got high and I could tell she was really buzzed, you know? And she goes, do you find my friend attractive? And if you're a guy and someone ever asks you a woman you're dating, <laughs> "Do you find my friend attractive. You have to be very careful the way you answer that question. And I'm like, and her friend was super attractive and so was she, but I'm like, you know, um, I never really evaluated, but yeah, I'm sure that, you know, certain people could find her attractive. You know what I mean? (laughs) And uh, she's like, no, do you find her attractive? I'm like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Under the right circumstances, uh, you know, she could be, you know, certainly attractive, you know, and I'm watching her expression to see if she's going to be angry, you know, and she's like, well, I got to, ask you something i'm like yeah i'm like where is this going she goes you know she hasn't dated anyone for close to you know a year and i when i told her i was going in the room and i want her to watch the girls for while, and i came out and she's like oh i envy you i'll I'd do anything right now you know whatever she goes this is only one time you have to promise me one time and i'm like oh please tell me my fantasy is about to come true here you know what i mean like she's like if I watched the girls, would you? And I'm like, well, if you want me to, you know what I mean? Like I'm a giver. Okay. And this was so unlike her. I'm like, I should have got her high way before this. You know what I mean? Like I should have been giving her edibles every week for the last (laughs) six months. And so she facilitated it. You know what I mean? And I was like, Oh my God, I like died and went to heaven. You know, I'll never forget later that day. She's like, you do understand that's a one-time thing. I don't care. Whatever happens, you and I go, I promise you. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I just have to get her high again. You know what I mean? Like, uh, but it was like, it came out of nowhere. I mean, when I say out of nowhere, if you would have told me before that, that that was going to happen, I would say that is an impossibility, okay? There's no way that's happening. But it happened, and there was two occasions And after that, where her friend kind of went, oh, we should do that again. And I was like, did you talk to her? She's like, well, no. And I'm like, listen, unless she says it's okay, I gave her my word, you know, and uh, I kept my word. And then she ended up finding someone and getting married, you know, and I was really happy for that. My relationship with the other person ended, you know, but we're still pretty good friends. But that was one of those things that just came out of absolutely nowhere. And you literally had to pinch yourself and go, is this actually happening? You know what I mean? Like, and I was kind of buzzed because after I got back, I didn't, I don't ever ride my bike high because it would be dangerous, you know, but I caught a buzz after I came back. And I remember thinking to myself, am I dreaming or is this actually happening?
0: Right. Well, that sounds like pretty on point fantasy right there.
1: It let me tell you something. I don't think I could draw up a fantasy that good because her friend <laughs> was really, really attractive. You know what I mean? And totally cool. And you know, we used to joke around and laugh all the time. And she ended up did finding someone and getting married. But that was like a gift that just fell out of the sky. That that was a lottery ticket that got cashed that I didn't even have to buy. You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: That's fun. I always I always like asking people that because they're like, Oh man, really this question. But I always get a great story (laughs) like that one to prove that things like that actually exist. All right. Well, that's all I've got for you. Thank you so much for doing this. I had a lot of fun. And honestly, this was, I think a really awesome conversation. I got a lot of it.
1: I mean, I love this kind of stuff. I told you, even if I find someone to take my place, I want to continue to do because you know, you learn a lot and you seem energetic and bright and certainly knowledgeable. And you fit that stereotype that, you know, like I put Ian Kerner and Emily Morrison where don't get that hyped up about it. It's a bodily function. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. let's normalize sex and let's be comfortable with it.
0: Wow, 100%. Well, that's the whole goal. And someday we'll get there. I, f- I really hope anyway. It's so. moving
1: slowly in that direction, believe me, but it not yes. fast enough for my taste, you know?
0: same no i I completely agree, so but i'll have to I'll have to go overseas and have fun with those people at some point too maybe
1: that you'll <laughs> find a totally different world, and I wish you luck in your podcast and you know your sugaring and anything you attempt to do. You seem like a wonderful person
0: all right well, thank you so much any any final thoughts or anything you'd like to say wh- where can people find you anything like that before we say bye Well, they can
1: find me you can go to the site which is www.promescent.com it's p-r-o-m-e-s-c-e-n-t i'm on instagram i'm on twitter at jeff abraham 111 you know i have a facebook account i answer all questions every single question whether it's on the website you say hey i want jeff to answer this question you email customer service i will personally answer every question you direct message me on any social media thing i will answer any question i think that you know education learning about other people's experience answering other people's questions having other having questions for other people that you ask it's all part of continuing to evolve as a human being you know that you know information is power You know, sharing knowledge, sharing life experiences with other people is powerful. And that's what I'm all about. And I've certainly, in my 64 years, lived a very colorful existence and lived my life without regrets. I'm going to continue to do that. As long as I'm alive and I'm vital, I want to continue to learn. I want to continue to evolve. And I want to, you know, continue to share the knowledge that I've gathered with other people. I think it's important to be a mentor.
0: Thank you so much for doing this.
1: This is my pleasure. Thanks.
0: That is where I'm going to leave you guys this week. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Jeff Abraham from Promescent. I do want to leave you guys with a coupon code for the products. SugarPuss15. That's SugarPuss15 at the checkout for Promescent products. Yes. And remember, there is a male delay spray that. Yes, it might be for men, but it's actually for us women, as discussed in this podcast episode. Don't forget, there's also gels for women. These make your little clit go psst and be very happy for 45 minutes, okay, I tried this out the first time, and I was, like, wide-eyed, because my pussy was so goddamn sensitive, and anytime I stimulated it, and anytime I got close, or I orgasmed with this stuff on my little clit, it was super intense, genuinely, Like, I had no idea what to expect. I was honestly a little terrified because I didn't know what this was going to do to my body. But I went for it and it was pretty enjoyable. But I'm going to have better reviews for you. I'm actually going to go through everything I got in my little goodie bag from Promescent themselves. And I'm going to tell you guys about them. I'm also going to give you, like, story times galore. Okay? Andrew is coming on this podcast with me to go through this stuff next week. It's going to be a great time don't forget that coupon code though is sugarpuss15 if you want to go fill up that goodie bag underneath your bed that we've been trying to create right so do that enjoy and i will talk to you guys next week